we're going to cover Deuteronomy 26 through 28 today. So I hope you found that in your word. Last week we looked at holiness and purity and uh, just that these what you see there in in chapters 21 through 25 have to deal with holiness and purity and that God desires that we be a holy and a pure people. And Moses, again, the the theme of, of Deuteronomy, we said if there was one word, it would be the word remember. And Moses is preparing them to enter the land. And this is a series of, of sermons, if you will, or, or conversations that he is having with the people. And it's interesting, in verse 26, he, he is speaking to them of, hey, when you get in the land, when you enter into the land, when you finally get there. And it's interesting, the first thing that he tells them to do is to worship, is to give thanks to God. And that's what I want to talk about today, true worship. There's a lot of ideas, there's a lot of um, things out there about what worship is, what it looks like, what it, what it is, what it isn't. I want to talk to you today from the Word of God and, and, and stir up in us, hopefully, a greater worship. Remind us of the goodness of our great God and hope, hopefully through that prompt us to greater worship. And so we're going to, again, 26 through 28 of Deuteronomy today and look at true worship. We're going to ask ourselves, what is true worship? And the first thing you see there on your handout I want to talk about today, the first element about worship that I believe that, uh, that Moses teaches us, but I believe the whole Word of God teaches us is this, that true worship is a celebration of God's goodness, His grace, and His faithfulness. It's a celebration. It's a celebration. Throughout, throughout this section, you're going to see a common theme. Everything, Moses is reminding them, that everything about their life was God's doing. Everything about their life was rooted in the, the Abrahamic covenant which God gave to Abraham, their father. And you see that in Genesis 12 and Genesis 15, continued into Genesis 17. Moses recounts everything that God has done and he takes it back to God's word. Look, look at 26, chapter 26, verse 3. You shall go to the priest who is in the office at that time and say to him, I declare this day to the Lord my God that I have entered the land which the Lord swore to our fathers to give us. God was faithful. In the midst of their unfaithfulness, in the midst of their wandering, in the midst of their great sin, God was faithful. And Moses helps them remember. He recounts for them the time and time again that God was faithful. Look at, look at verse 8. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and outstretched arm with great terror and signs and wonders. Just in case they, they would be prone, just like we are prone, to take responsibility or take the credit for the things that God had done in our lives and is doing in our lives. And Moses reminds them, no, no, no. Guess who brought you out of Egypt? That was the Lord's doing. The Lord put you in Egypt and the Lord brought you out of Egypt. Were they a part of it? Yes, but it was God's doing. Look at verse 9. And He brought us to this place and has given us this land. If it was up to them, they'd still be wandering probably in the desert. It wasn't them. God did that. They're on the cusp of entering the promised land. Who's been faithful? God has. God was the one that was faithful even in the midst of their unfaithfulness. God never wavered. They, they didn't earn the land. We saw that in, in Deuteronomy 7. It's not because of your righteousness that you're entering the land. It's because of God. God was faithful. He never stopped being faithful. Look, look at verse 10. 
Now behold, I have brought the first of the produce of the ground which you, which you, O Lord, have given me. And you shall set it down before the Lord your God and worship before the Lord your God. The response to God's faithfulness, the response to God's goodness, the response to His unceasing loving kindnesses was what? It was worship. It was worship. They worshipped their great God because of His faithfulness. He never, ever, ever stopped being faithful. And, and listen, look at verse 11. It describes their worship. And you and the Levite and the alien who is among you shall rejoice in the good which the Lord your God has given you. This was not a begrudging worship. This was not a, oh man, I gotta, I gotta go. No, this was a rejoice. This was, I'm grateful. It, it was not lacking emotion. You don't rejoice without emotion. Rejoicing is full of emotion. When, when we recount God's blessings, when we recount His goodness, it ought to be full of emotion. God's faithfulness to them, when, when it's recounted and it's inventoried and they recognize it, it overflowed with gratitude. That was the natural uh, uh, response. And listen, we see that time and time again in the New Testament. That's why Philippians 4 can say rejoice. Again, I say rejoice. That's why 1 Thessalonians 5, 16-18 can say rejoice. Be thankful for all things. First uh, Ephesians 5.20 talks about rejoicing for all things. Why? Because we have a God that is good. That no matter what we face, no matter what we go through, it does not impact His goodness and His faithfulness. They didn't deserve it. They didn't earn it. Again, Deuteronomy 7, verses 7 through 9, Moses made that very clear. The Lord did not set His love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than any of the peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But because the Lord loved you and kept the oath which He swore to your forefathers, the Lord brought you out by a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Know therefore, listen to this, that the Lord your God, He is God, the faithful God who keeps His covenant and loving kindness to a thousand generation with those who love Him and keep His commandments. Never stops being faithful. Everything about their life was grace. Everything about our lives, grace. Our, do we suffer from sin? We do. From our own sin, from others' sin, that does not compromise God's faithfulness. It doesn't compromise His goodness. And Moses, throughout Deuteronomy and throughout their history, set up many, many reminders. You see, throughout the Old Testament, when God did miraculous things in their lives, they would establish altars, they would build reminders, and they would name that place based on the way God had revealed Himself to remind them of His faithfulness. And Moses' primary purpose here, the primary, the primary thing that Moses is calling them here to do is to, it was a way for Israel to regularly celebrate the goodness that God had poured out from them. He, he is making sure when you get in the land, you regularly celebrate God's goodness. You regularly prompt yourself with reminders of God's goodness. Why? Because we forget. Our tendency is to forget. Our, all of our tendency is to forget. He, God not only brought them into the land... He brought them out of a land, and He's going to provide for them while they're in the land. And again, God's faithfulness never ceases. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23 says, Your loving kindnesses never fail. Never fail. And, and worship is a response to that. 
It is a response to God's grace. It is a response to God's faithfulness. I mean, even what we offer, listen to this, even what we offer ultimately came from God. Even that which we offer. And that's what Moses is saying here in Deuteronomy 26. You bring the produce of the ground. Who put them in the land? God did. In Egypt, they had these aquifers and this sort of an irrigation system, if you will. There was no irrigation system in, in, going to be in Canaan. So guess what? God, they had to depend on God's rains. If God, God says, I'll provide the rains. If you're faithful, I'll provide the rains. You'll have produce. Every time they offered, every time they brought their offering, that would be evidence that God had been faithful to His Word. When you and I bring our offerings, if you will, when we, when we give, guess what we're giving? We're giving out of that which God gave us. It's a reminder. It's clear evidence to the people around us, to the world around us, that our God provides, that our God is faithful, that our God honors His Word. It, it was evidence not only to them, it was a reminder not only to them, but it was evidence and a reminder to the world around them that God provided. It, it, it was, they were totally, this land was totally dependent upon the faithfulness of God. And yet, it's interesting, and yet, you, you see this, and it's, it's, we see this in our lives, and you see it in Israel's lives. At the same time, listen to me, God's blessings and His sovereignty included trials and struggles. This was not, hey, yellow, the yellow brick road type of mentality. In the midst of God's sovereignty, in the midst of His faithfulness, in the midst of His goodness, in the midst of His unceasing faithfulness and loving kindnesses, there were trials, and that's what Moses recounts them in Egypt. And yet... Think about it. No, I guarantee you that Israel at this point, don't talk, to me about, don't talk to me about Egypt. I'm trying to forget Egypt. And yet God takes them back to Egypt and shows that even in the midst of that great trial, even in the midst of that great struggle, even in the midst of the harshness of the work and all that, that Pharaoh did, God was faithful and, and, and to them in trial and even in disobedience. They, they would have never, listen to me, Israel would have never, ever, ever chosen that time in Egypt for themselves, and yet God, in His sovereignty, used Egypt to incubate this tiny little nation of just a few families and grew them under Egypt's protection into millions. Sovereign. Did that involve great trial? It did. But God used Egypt and all of that to incubate and to provide and to protect this tiny little nation to take a handful of people and grow them into an enormous nation. That was Egypt. That was trial. That was struggle. And yet in the midst of that, God is forging a character in His people. He's proving who He is and He's building them. I mean, there, there are many of us here as I, I'm constantly, as, as the the shepherd as the, the pastor burdened with the, the struggles that are going on, cancer and familial struggles and, and, and relational struggles and heartaches. And, and I'm constantly having to remind myself of God's goodness and His faithfulness because the world and Satan wants to attack that through these struggles. But listen, God is using our cancer. He's using our struggles. He's using our hurts. Satan wants to destroy us. He wants to draw us away from God. And yet, and yet God is using that to draw us closer to Him and even draw others to Him. 
That's why Romans 8, uh, 37 say, in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer. What Satan meant for evil, God uses for good. Israel had seen that. Genesis 50, 20 with Joseph. He says to his brothers, you meant it for evil. You put me in that pit, you sold me, you left me for dead. You meant it for evil. Guess what? God meant it for good. God in his sovereignty appointed me. Joseph would have not chosen that. And yet it was for a time such as this that he could provide for his brothers and his family in Egypt. He could provide for them there. And God is using our struggles, he's using our hurts to conform us to his image. To create a better hope in us that we would not hope in the things of the world. Listen Romans 5, 1 through 5. Romans 5, 1 through 5. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand and we exult in the hope of glory. And not only this, but we exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, perseverance, proven character, proven character, hope, and hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Now listen, even as I say that, there, there's probably 25 names in my mind. As I say that, there's names in my mind. And I think that's hard to hear. And that's a struggle, but God is using our struggles. He's sovereign over even our struggles. But listen, not only in our struggles is what, what God did for Israel and, and what God does for us, but, but 2 Corinthians 1 verse 3 reminds me that God uses our struggles for others. You might be going through what you're going through for the sole purpose to comfort somebody that six months from now, two months from now, whenever is going to go through what you're going through. And listen to me, 2 Corinthians 1 verses, verses 3 through 7. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. God has a, a monopoly on mercy and comfort. Listen, who comforts us in all our affliction. Why? So that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is in abundance through Christ. But if we are afflicted, Paul writes, it is for your comfort and your salvation. Or if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which is effective in the patient enduring of the same sufferings, which we also suffer. And our hope for you is firmly grounded, knowing that you are sharers of our sufferings, so also you are sharers of our comfort. The person who walked out, the person who hurt you, the, the, the cancer, whatever it is, Satan wants you to draw, to draw you away to cause you to question God. And we see it all the way back in Job, one of the earliest Old Testament books written. Satan says, you, you've blessed Job so much, of course he loves you. you. You take all that away, he'll curse you to your face. God said, okay. I trust. I, tr I, I, know, I know Job. He won't do that. That, that still goes on today. It is a cosmic battle. There is a battle going on in the heavenlies that we don't see for our allegiance. Satan is the accuser of the brethren. And not only that, he accuses God of buying our allegiance. And sometimes God proves our allegiance and allows us to walk through these fires to prove our allegiance. To prove to the world that he's worthy. To prove to the world that he's not bought our allegiance. He's just that awesome. 
The, the bad thing is, is that some of us, all of us, are going to go through struggles that forge that. Second, Second Timothy, I think it's 3.12, says, Those who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Why? Because we have an enemy, we have an, we have an opponent, his name is Satan, and he seeks to kill, to steal, and to destroy. And yet God superimposes over that, he's sovereign over that, and he, he not only grows us up, but he uses what he's walked us through to build somebody else up. That's how we super win, if that's right language, oh, uh, exceedingly conquer, it says in Romans 8. We don't just kind of conquer, we overwhelmingly conquer. And maybe what you or me or well, maybe what we're going through right now has as much to do with somebody else that you don't even know yet as it does with you. That cancer, God may be walking you through it, not only to show that he's sovereign and good in the midst of that, but he's going to use you to comfort somebody down the road who, who's afflicted with that same cancer. That marital struggle, that hurt, that heartache, whatever it is, God says, it, not only am I comforting you, but I'm preparing you to have a ministry to share my comfort with somebody else. The question becomes, can we worship like that? Can we worship a God? Will we worship a God who is sovereign and does that? Will we redeem our cancer? Will we not waste our cancer? Will we not waste these struggles? Will we not waste these trials? By giving God the, and, and instead give God the glory and help others be comforted with the same comfort that we've been comforted with. See, that's the reality of Scripture. And, and, and Moses, Moses doesn't want them to waver. He doesn't want them to ever waver in, in, in their obedience and in their, in their loyalty to God. And Moses recounts for them an inventory of such of all the times that God had blessed them. And some of those blessings included trials. It's an inventory. Verses 5 through 10, if, if you read that, he, he's sort of giving them the, the tip of the iceberg of an inventory of such, of, of about God's faithfulness. And as I read that this week, I started thinking about all of the goodness and all of the things that God has done to me that I've probably forgotten. All the blessings the great inventory, the overflow, the abundance of blessings. That because of trial, because of struggle, because of just my own sinfulness, sometimes we forget. And, and I thought about how often I, I'm so prone to forgetting or, or presuming upon God or assuming, well, I'm a pastor. Of course God's going to bless me. And God's saying, no, 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 no. You, you don't take credit for the blessings, Chris, and you don't presume upon them. So I, I thought about this. This passage came to mind, and I want to I read it. And I, it's, a, it's a rich passage. One day, Lord willing, I'll, I'll preach it. it. It gives us a phenomenal inventory. I want to inventory with you. If you're here as, as a believer, if you're here and a believer in Christ, this is just a tip of the iceberg for you to inventory, for you to log away, for you to count to your credit. By grace, some of, the, some of the blessings that God has, has bestowed upon us. Ephesians 1, verses 3 through 14. Listen to this. And, and, and as I read this, if you're looking at that list, you can probably fill in many of these yourselves. Blessed be the God and Father of Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world 
that we would be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the kind intention of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, which He freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches, riches of His grace, which He lavished on us. In all wisdom and insight He made known to us the mystery of His will, according to His kind intention, which He purposed in Him, with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth. lost my place here, sorry. In Him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to His purpose, who works all things after the counsel of His will, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also, after listening to the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of His glory. That is a lot of blessing. All by grace. And, and, and I sat there and I, I, I literally prayed through these things and I thought, well, let me share them. Thank you, God, for saving us and providing for us. Huge blessing. Thank you, this passage tells me, thank you, God, for blessing us with every spiritual blessing. We have everything we need to live this life. Thank you, God, for choosing me before the foundation of the world. He chose me ahead of time. Thank you, God, for adopting me. Thank you, God, for redeeming me. That literally means to purchase me out of the slave market of sin. He paid the ransom in Jesus Christ. Matthew 20, 28, For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give His life as a ransom. He redeemed me. Thank you for forgiving me of my sin. Thank you, God, for lavishing your grace upon me. Not, not stingily, not, 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 not small amounts, lavish. Thank you, God, for making known to me the mystery of your will. Thank you, God, for giving me an inheritance that will never fade away. Thank you, God, for allowing me to be the object of your praise and your glory, that you would get great glory through me. Thank you, God, verse 14, for sealing me with the Holy Spirit. Thank you, God, for declaring me to be your treasured possession. If you're ever having a hard time praying, if you're ever wondering what to pray, pray through that list. Spend some time telling God, thank you for His abundance of grace and goodness and faithfulness. That's just some of the reasons. Moses here gives Israel some of the reasons they worship. That's some of the reasons why we worship. That God not only chose us, but He continues to be faithful and provide for us abundantly every day. And all of this, listen, all of this for us points to Christ. All of this points to Christ. It was consummated in Christ, if you will. He's our focus. You look in, in 1 Corinthians 1, verses 26 through 31. Paul makes it abundantly clear. The focus is Christ. For consider your calling, brethren, that not many of you were wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things that are strong. And the base things of the world and the despised God has chosen. That's you and me. 
the things that are not, so that he may nullify the things that are, so that no man may boast before God. But by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. That is the consummation. It's Christ. It's about the grace of God. It's rejoicing in the grace of God. It's about making much of a great God because he has made much of us by putting forth his son as a sacrifice for our sin. And if that's not why we're here, if that's not why you're here, I'm begging you, repent of that. Ask forgiveness for that. Maybe through our worship today, maybe through our lifting up of God's word, you'll begin to worship God for that reason. But we're here to make much of Christ. Because he's made much of us through his giving of his life on our behalf to pay for our sins. So we worship true worship. Listen to me. True worship is a celebration. It's a rejoicing. But, but not only is it a celebration, true worship is a response to God's faithfulness by being faithful ourselves. And that's where uh, uh, Deuteronomy 26 verses 10, really all the way to the end of 28. True worship involves response. It involves response. It involves action. It involves these things from the worshiper. And again, it originates in a condition of our heart that is, grati- that is full of gratitude for Christ. It involves sacrifice for the Lord's glory. It involves purging evil for the Lord's glory, as we saw last week. It involves looking out for our brothers and sisters, coming alongside them, helping them. All of that is involved. And multiple times, multiple times in this chapter, Paul says, be careful, be careful to do, be careful to do. You look at it in in chapter 27, verses 9 and 10, just for one example. Then Moses and the Levitical priests spoke to all Israel, saying, Be silent and listen, O Israel. This day you have become a people for the Lord your God. You shall therefore obey the Lord your God and do His commandments and His statutes, which I command you today. He's ratifying the covenant. This is a new people, same people Israel, new generation. He's ratifying the covenant. He hadn't changed. What he's saying is your devotion to me will be seen in your obedience, not by lip service. I'll know you're devoted to me by how you live. And you look at the rest of chapter 27, time and time again, cursed is the man, cursed is the man, cursed is he, cursed is he. He says, you walk away from me, you disobey me, there's going to be consequences. You get to chapter 28, blessings, blessings, blessings for obedience. And what he's telling them and what, what we learn from this is that faith and obedience go together. Faith and obedience go together. You see this throughout chapters 27 and 28. You see it in the New Testament. Abide in me, for apart from me you can do what? Nothing. He says very clearly, if you love me, you will what? Obey my commands. Yeah. Faith and obedience, they go together. And and everything about not only Israel but about us, it was rooted in God's faithfulness rooted in his faithfulness they gathered regularly Moses is saying you gather regularly to worship God and remind each other of his faithfulness to remind people to tell the next generation what a great God it is that we serve it's interesting in Hebrews 10 verses 23 through 25 the writer of Hebrews tells us that is exactly why we worship today same reason today listen to me Hebrews 10 Verses 23 through 25. 
Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Listen, and let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Why do we gather to encourage one another? To come alongside one another and share, hey, you're struggling with this? Well, guess what? I struggle with that. And let me tell you about God's faithfulness. You're dealing with this? Let me tell you. Let me tell you. I saw God do this. It's for one another. It's reminding one another of God's faithfulness. It's spurring one another on to remain faithful because we have a tendency to forget. We have a tendency to think that we're the only person going through what we're... We have a tendency, all that. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, No temptation is overcoming you, but as such as common to man. And with every temptation, God is faithful. He'll provide a way of escape. That's why we worship. That's why we gather to encourage one another. We make this all about us. It has something to do with you. It mainly has everything to do with God and encouraging one another. And our worship, just like Israel's, our worship is rooted in gratitude for what God has done through grace. You see that in Romans 12. You see that all throughout Scripture. Because there are there, here's, here's the challenge, as, as I thought about this. There are huge consequences to forsaking worship. There are huge consequences for worshiping false gods and for no longer giving thanks to the one true God. Listen to me in Romans 1.21. Listen to me. Talking about, talking about unbelief and its consequences. And, and, and listen to where it starts. Verse 21 of Romans 1. For even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks. But they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. You see where, you see where idolatry, you see where rampant sin, you see where worshiping, where it originated? Even though they knew God, what? They refused to give thanks. Refusal to give thanks. Lack of gratitude to what God has done. Set in motion humongous consequences. A lack of thankfulness and a lack of gratitude is what leads people into idolatry. They go form a God of their own making that they can rejoice in, rather than worshiping the one true God. And listen, you read the papers, you see the effects of that every single day in our papers. I say this, I say this uh, in my own spirit cautiously, just because I don't know who's listening, and I don't know what will happen, but listen to me. ISIS and all the, all the atrocities and all the things they're committing, do you know where it's rooted? It's rooted in idolatry. It's rooted in a lack of worship to the one true God, and so you make up your own God. It's rooted in a lack of, of a willingness to give, to give thanks to the one true God, and so you create your own God. And you end up worshiping a false God. Allah is a false God. The Bible leaves me no option, no opportunity to say anything less than that. Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but through Him. There is one true God. All throughout, we saw it in Deuteronomy, the Deuteronomy 6. What, was, what did the Israel teach their children? The Lord your God is one. He's one. He's a false God. And we as Christians, we can't think that we're being kind by believing anything less than that. He is a false God, and all of the actions of ISIS are rooted in idolatry. Do you see how dangerous it is to worship the right God, the only God? 
You see, the danger is when we don't give thanks, when, we don't, or gr- when we're not gratitude, when we don't have gratitude for what God has done, and we fail to give thanks to the one true God, we end up chasing other gods. And, and all these atrocities are rooted. Idolatry, the worship of this one true God is not a game. It is serious business. To worship a false god is not just, oh man, it's bad. that is a bad thing. And it leads to what we see. I think some of us in here could probably offer up when we worshipped another god, mainly self or money or these other things, and where it led us. That's why 1 Timothy 6, those who desire to get rich pierce themselves with many pangs. You worship money, it's going to wound you. It's going to hurt you. Worshiping a false god, it's, it's, it's dangerous. It's devastating. And thanksgiving is the root of worship. Being thankful to the one true God for all His grace. And God commands His people to be a thankful people. You see that in 1 Thessalonians. You see that in Ephesians 5, 1 Thessalonians 5. You see it in Philippians 4. Rejoice always. Again, I say rejoice. God knows you're going to have a tendency to take your salvation for granted. So you meet regularly to stir up. It's like going to a fire and poking at the coals so that it'll stir that heat up and you'll have a stronger fire again. That's why we gather week after week after week to, to, to prod the flames, to prod the coals rather, to spur one another on, to be reminded of God's faithfulness. Why? Because we forget. And, and God's blessings are not a divine right, regardless of who we are. If, if we're going to come to God, we've got to come to God with the right attitude. Look at, look at Deuteronomy 28, verse, 20, verse 47. Deuteronomy 28, 47. Look what Moses writes to them. Because you did not serve the Lord your God with joy and a glad heart for the abundance of all things, therefore you will serve your enemies. Do you see what he's saying? He said, you don't come begrudgingly. You don't come just any way you want. If you're going to come to God, he says, you come to God with joy and with gladness. That's the offering that he's worthy of. That's the only offering that will be accepted. And that's the same thing in Romans 1. A lack of, gra- a lack of gratitude. You see this in, in Amos 4. I think I gave uh, Amos 4, verses 4 through 9. Look, look at what Amos writes. Enter, enter Bethel and transgress. In, in Gilgal, multiply transgression. Bring your sacrifices every morning, your tithes every three days. Offer a thank offering also that which is leavened. And proclaim freewill offerings. Make them known. For you love to do, for so you love to do, you sons of Israel, declares the Lord God. But I gave you also cleanness of teeth into all your cities and a lack of bread in all your places. You have not returned to me, declares the Lord. Furthermore, I withheld the rain from you. While you were still there three months until harvest, then I would send rain on one city, and on another I would not. One part would be rained on, while the other part would not. So two or three cities would stagger to another city to drink water, but would not be satisfied. Yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. I smote you with a scorching wind and mildew, and with a caterpillar was devouring your gardens and vineyards, fig trees, olive trees. Yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. A lack of thankfulness. Lack of gratitude, strong words. You, you can, I, we won't read it, but you can look at Isaiah 1, verses 10 through 17, strong words. He says, don't come to me with all these offerings when your heart is not in it. He says, I don't want any part of it. He says in verse 13, bring your worthless offerings no longer. 
and senses are abomination to me. New moon, Sabbath, I hate your new moon festivals. He says, so when you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Yes, even though you multiply prayers, I will not listen. Here's the point. Come to God rejoicing and with gratitude, or don't come. Repent, and then come. Don't think God is honored by us just going through the motions. And before we think, well, that was Old Testament, we have Christ, joy to the world. Yeah, well, let's go to let's go Matthew 5, 23. Matthew 5, 23. Therefore, if you're presenting your offering at the altar, and therefore you remember your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and present your offering. Leave it. Go get clean. Matthew 15, 8 through 10. This people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far away from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching his doctrines, the precepts of men. You see it in Matthew 23, 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. You see the same thing in, in James 1. We don't, come to, we don't live however we want to live and then come to God and expect Him to just be this genie that we rub the lamp and everything's... No, we, we come to God if we live like that and repent first. If we're going to come to God, we're going to come clean under the blood of Jesus and we're going to come with joy and with gladness. And if not, repent. Ask God to create, restore again the joy of your salvation. Ask God to create in you a clean heart as David did in Psalm 51. And because of God's faithfulness, our response, the response that He demands and is worthy of is loyalty. What He demands from His people is loyalty. He is faithful to us and His response, He says, you be loyal back. You be loyal. And we see that throughout the New Testament. We live differently because of our great God. John 14, Ephesians 4, Romans 12, all throughout. If you love me, obey my commands. Seek to, seek to obey me. Desire to, make, desire to obey me. All being fueled as a response of gratitude. So, so not only are, is worship a, a celebration, but worship is a response. And lastly, worship is a witness. True worship is ultimately so that all will witness the glory and the greatness of our God. Ultimately, we worship as a witness. And if we're not careful, we will make ourselves the end of everything. Everything will end of ourselves. Everything will be about ourselves. And we'll miss the end goal. God is doing something in you and in me for us to go tell somebody else. And look at me, even, even in Deuteronomy, even in Deuteronomy, God had that as His mission. Look at Deuteronomy 28, verse 10. Quickly as we close here. Deuteronomy 28.10 So that all the peoples of the earth, he says, keep my commands and walk my ways, so that all the peoples of the earth will see that you are called by the name of the Lord and they will be afraid of you. Do you see the witness? Do you see the testimony that was built into their lives? One of the end goals of their lives, one of the end goals of the blessing, one of the end goals of the choosing was that other people would take notice of the greatness of Israel's God. Israel was to reflect the glory and the grace of the God who had, whose name they bore, who had called them. It was about a witness. It was about being a reflector of God's goodness. 
they were not an end. They were not a cul-de-sac. They, they were to be a conduit. You can go to Isaiah, and it talks about that they were being a light to the nations. Same thing for you and I. They would live their life according to God's, uh, to, uh, uh, as a response to God's gratefulness or graciousness and grace. God would bless their socks off, and other nations would take notice of that and say, how's this tiny little nation surviving? God. God. Interesting, in Matthew 5, same thing. He says, a city on a hill is, a city on a hill is not hidden. Don't take your lampstand and put it on the table. He says, let your light shine before men so they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father that's in heaven. See, the, the total, the fullest consummation of our worship is the worship of others. Is the worship of those around us. We come here, we're reminded, and our fires are stoked for the, of the greatness and the grace of God so that we'll go out in the world and others will see that in our lives. All to the glory of God. It's interesting, in, in, in 1 Corinthians 14, we see the same thing. Listen to me. It's talking about the, even in the assembly of, of believers. He says, Therefore, if the whole church assembles together and all speak in tongues and ungifted men or believers and unbelievers enter, they will, not, will they not say that you're mad? They'll say, they won't know what's going on. You'll look crazy. But if all prophecy and an unbeliever or ungifted man enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so he will fall on his face and worship God, declaring that God is certainly among you. Even how we worship here has an effect on the lost. When they, if, if, if an unbeliever, they may be unbelievers here now, when they watch us worship, are they in awe? Do they realize that we serve a great God, or are, they, are we yawning at this God, and they're like, well, what, what does he have that I need? Even how we worship here, but even as we live our lives out there, what does the world see through my life and your life regarding this great God? You can look at 2 Corinthians 9, same thing regarding our generosity, so that others will see and be in awe of our great God. It's about, it's about a witness. John 13 talks about it, the badge of a Christian. This is a, so that all will know you're my disciples. How? That you love one another. The way we love one another ought to create a taste and a thirst for others about our great God. Because the, the opposite is true. Unfortunately, the opposite is true. When we don't, there are devastating effects regarding the testimony of the greatness of our God. And, and Paul speaks to that in, in, Romans, in Romans 2. I won't read it all for the sake of time. He talks about the Jew, they're being hypocrites. They're condemning the very thing they're doing. They're talking bad over here, and they're doing the very same things. They're teaching one, and they need to be taught. They're preaching don't steal, and they're stealing. And look at this. When, when our lives don't back up to what our confessions and our testimonies, verse 24 of Romans 2, this is the result. For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. The opposite witness is true. To profess one thing, and to live another. It says the name of our great God is not lifted up, torn down. The gospel by which we're saved is the greatest truth, it's the greatest gift in all the world. The joy of by grace having been a recipient of that ought to overflow 
into our lives, that we've been forgiven from the penalty of our sin, that we've been adopted by God, that we have received every spiritual blessing, that we've been called, that we've been chosen, that we've given an inheritance, all of that. We gather to remind ourselves of that so that we will have great emotion regarding our, God, our, our great God. Do people see joy and gratitude in your life regarding our great God? Do, do, they, do they understand, do they know that you're a believer? Are they drawn to Christ through the way that you live, the way that I live? And I'm talking about at home, in your neighborhoods, at schools, at work. What are you saying? What are our lives saying about the greatness of this God? Are we creating a thirst? Or are we turning God away? And if not, ask God to re reveal to us why not. Ask God. Is there a sin in my life that may be thwarting that? Is there a pursuit of a false God in my life? Am I wasting my time chasing all these things that the world offers rather than, like Daniel prompted us to sing this morning, more of you, seeking more of you? As I prepared this, and I'm, I'm closing here, I promise. As I prepared this, I read in the paper, and many of you did this week as well, about a young girl named Kayla Mueller. She went over to Syria to serve the underprivileged. She went over to Syria to serve those who could not help themselves. She was, her and her boyfriend were taken captive uh, by ISIS. Her boyfriend was at, uh, eventually released. She was kept. She was a prisoner for 18 months. And then they killed her. There was a letter that she wrote to her I, some of you may have read it, but it is. There was a letter published in the paper that she wrote to her mom and dad that she secretly wrote and she described it in there, gave it to one of the, the people that were set free and, and it eventually made it to her parents. L listen to what she read. This is a young lady who had given her life to serve others, was captured and was sitting in a prison for 18 months. At some point during those 18 months, this is what she wrote. I remember you always telling me that all we have, and in the end, the only one you really need to have is God. I have come to a place in this experience where in every sense of the word, I have surrendered myself to our Creator because literally there is no one else. And by God and by your prayers, I have felt tenderly cradled in free fall. I have been shown in darkness light, and I have learned that even in prison one can be free. I am grateful. She's grateful. I read that and I thought, that's probably the last emotion that I would be feeling. I'd be bitter. I'd probably be mad. I'd be, I'd be a whole lot of things. I, listen, she says, I have come to see that there is good in every situation. Sometimes we just have to look for it. I pray each day that if nothing else, you have felt a certain closeness and surrender to God as well and have formed a bond of love and support amongst one another. Young girl, 18 months in prison, captured, She's not suffering for doing wrong. She's suffering for doing right. And she's worshiping even in prison. That's a girl whose light is shining even in prison. 
And interestingly enough, the whole world now has seen that light. Do you see how God is sovereign? What Satan means for evil, God uses for good. And even, even in Satan using that for evil, God is using it for good. He's sovereign. I, I ask myself this question, what would I write? What, what would I write if I was in that situation? What, what would my attitude be? Then I started thinking about this. Am I, am I doing all I can with the two children God has given me that they would write a letter like that? If Bradley or Sarah Grace were sitting there, would they write a letter like that? Have I poured myself into my kids? Do they see in me? Do they see in Karen a love for God that would cause them to write a letter like that? People throughout the whole world have read that letter. Her light is shining even as her days are gone. She, she's understanding what Paul wrote. And I thought about this in Philippians 3.10. Paul writes this. That I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being conformed to His death in order that I may obtain the resurrection from the dead. Paul writes that I would know you not only in the power of your resurrection but that I'd know you in the fellowship of his sufferings. See, because Kayla serves a Savior who was falsely accused, who was falsely imprisoned, and who was falsely murdered. And she's rejoicing in that. She knows Kayla, through her trial, has a, had a fellowship with Christ that would not have been born in America in great prominence and wealth and all that we have. She, she is a, a lady who is worshiping our great God no matter what. She was not willing to waste any part of her life. And as I pondered this, here's what I thought. Why do I waste all the opportunity God's given me? Why do I waste that and wait? Why do we wait till we're in prison to worship God like this? Why, why do we wait to abandon everything and know that He's all there is? Why, why don't we seek to live abandoned to every, abandoning everything to Christ? Why don't we seek to live like that while we're free to live like that? At home, at work, at school, in our neighborhoods, doing everything to the glory of God that all will see the light of God and the glory of Christ through us. Why do we wait? And, and I pray that we would be a people, as I thought about that, who desire to obey our Lord in everything and to bear much fruit in everything. And as we seek to glorify Him, may others see and be drawn to the greatness of Christ. Doesn't mean that everything's going to go great for us. Matter of fact, it means the opposite because before we belonged to Satan, Satan is not going to attack his own. Now we're an enemy of Satan. We belong to Christ. He's going to attack us. But live for Christ. Read this word and understand the greatness of the Savior that we have, the greatness of the blessings, the greatness of what He's done for us. And may the reading of the word, the fellowship here, the, the living it out, may it fuel our gratitude. May it just send us over the edge with gratitude for our great God. Worship is a big deal. Obedience is a big deal. 
because ultimately God's great name is at stake through both. 